Alright, good morning, good morning. Glad to be here. I appreciate your faithfulness. Mike, you got me turned up back there? Alright, there we go. Well, I know y'all are so faithful to be here and such a wonderful, exciting class. And um, glad to have uh, Joe and Kathy up there as new members and uh, celebrate that. I do want to say a lot of things happen behind the scenes to uh, make the pageant uh, go off so well. Uh, yesterday at uh, uh, the 2 o'clock uh, that we had, there were 22 buses. 22 buses. And uh, the associate deacons got those in there and got them out. So uh, I'm proud of my guys. And uh, they do a wonderful job with the, with the parking. But the ushers, um, of course, the broadcast, security, choir, orchestra, staff, so many different people uh, have a part in, uh, in the pageant. I do have the uh, joy today of um, serving a wonderful spiritual meal on Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm glad that you came to eat today, alright? And uh, it is a wonderful chapter in the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 53. On Sunday night, I did a uh, class in Discipleship Now that was four weeks uh, taking the book of Isaiah and chapter 52 and 53 and teaching uh, these wonderful parts of Scripture. If John 3.16 is the greatest verse in the Bible, and it may be, then Isaiah chapter 53 surely is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 53 has caught and captured the hearts of theologians and uh, people alike for millenniums. Isaiah chapter 53 has led more Jewish people to the Lord than any other chapter in the Bible. Think about that. When an Orthodox Jew reads Isaiah 53, they are brought face to face with the fact that there is a coming somebody. And there is a Messiah. And there is a Redeemer of Israel who is not a king on earth, but is a suffering servant. And that's what you find in this chapter. Kyle Yates from Southern Seminary called Isaiah chapter 53 the Mount Everest of Old Testament prophecy. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, called Isaiah 53 the Bible in miniature, the Gospel in essence. And Richard Humphreys would say, this chapter preaches. It does. Uh, there is power in Isaiah chapter 53. Now, the text actually begins 
in chapter 52, verse 13, and goes through chapter 53, verse 12. And so, that really is the, the chapter, the truth that we find here beginning in verse 13 of chapter 52. I want to read as we begin just chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised and we did not esteem Him. Now, when you look at the beginning of this, you find that there is a call to believe the message. Isaiah says, who out there has believed our message? It's one thing to have a proclamation that is going forward. You know, you can cast a vision, but somebody has got to catch that vision. And so, Isaiah looks into the future and says this coming somebody, the suffering one, is going to be the Messiah. And so today, we're going to see five pictures of the suffering servant in this chapter. And number one, I want you to look and see the servant's exaltation. And that begins in chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. Now the stanza begins here with something strange. It begins with glorification at the beginning. It's almost like Isaiah peers into the future and begins with resurrection, not crucifixion. And so, look at this here in your Bible. Verse number 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. So, in chapter 52, verse 13. 52, 13. There is this exaltation of the servant. Again, the text begins here with, Behold. And what Isaiah is doing is calling everyone together. And he's saying to the collective people of Israel, I want you to look. I want you to behold this servant. He is high and lifted up. The old Baptist preacher said, God needs to lay the sinner low and the Savior high. I like that. And so we find this servant would be lifted up. You and I know that the Lord was lifted up on the cross 
but He was also lifted up in resurrection. Lifted up in ascension. And He will be lifted up one day in the clouds of glory. And as John would say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Also, verse number 14, look at that. Chapter 52, verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, My people, so His appearance was marred more than any man, and His form more than the sons of men. And so, in verse 14 you have a picture of suffering. People would be astonished as they looked at the Christ on the cross. I want you to hold your spot here, but look over to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 8 and 9. Philippians chapter 2. We'll read verses 8 and 9. Here is Paul's theology on Isaiah. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself being or becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. Paul says here that the Messiah, Jesus, went to death, but not just any kind of a death, death of a cross. Now, what kind of death would that be? Well, in the first century, if someone was going to the death of a convict, it would be the death of a cross. Picture this in your mind. The whole collective sin of the world being nailed to the cross. That's what Paul is saying here. And so, in verse number 8, you find the humility of the cross. But in verse number 9, you find the exaltation of the resurrection. Alright, look back in chapter 52. So, in Isaiah 52, look at verse 15. Thus He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of Him. For what had been told, then they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. And so, we also find this coming somebody will be exalted because of His service. There is one word there in verse 15 you need to pluck out and find. It is the word sprinkle. He will sprinkle many. It's the picture of the high priest. The high priest that would go into the temple. He would take a hyssop branch and put it into the entrails of the lamb. And the high priest would sprinkle the blood. Sprinkle the blood. And so here you find the picture of the very Son of God, the suffering servant. Sprinkling the blood. Sprinkling redemption. On who? On Israel? Not just Israel. 
But it says there, many nations. That was always Israel's hang-up. They always thought that they were the chosen people, and they were, but they were not just God's chosen people. God said, I have a love for the world. And that's what you find here. Many nations would be sprinkled. So, you find this servant's exaltation. Mark, Mark in his Gospel, chapter 10, verse 45, says these words, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Again, many nations. A ransom for many. God is not just concerned about Israel. God has a heart for the world. And so we find the servant's exaltation. Alright, let's move on. Number two. We also find the servant's rejection. And this is chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. Now, verse number 1 flows kind of naturally from chapter 52. It is the redeemed community that's speaking. Isaiah is talking as one who knows the prophecies. He knows that prophet after prophet has declared that a Messiah will come. And so he begins, who has believed our message. Isaiah saying that, that the prophets have spoken. Who has believed our message? I want you to look in your Bible to Romans chapter 10. It's kind of like a sword drill today. Romans chapter 10. And look at verses 16 and 17. Romans 10, 16 and 17. Romans 10.16 says, However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, The Lord has believed... Or Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, For faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so Paul in Romans is saying, Who has believed our message? But then... Verse 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. I heard a uh, preacher years ago that said, uh, God calls us all to fish. And Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And God didn't call us to be catchers, He called us to be fishers. And I like that, I think that's true. You and I are not responsible for who we catch, but we are responsible to fish. And we are to declare the message. That's what Isaiah is saying. Who has believed our report? Now, in verse number 1, Isaiah 53.1, it seems that it was insignificant or unimportant. Many people thought probably Isaiah's message was insignificant. 53.1 says, And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The answer is very 
few caught the message. Today, look at Israel. They say the Messiah is still coming. Today, look at Israel. They are still trying to look for that one that's going to come, but you and I know He has already come. And coming again one day in glory. Well, the arm of the Lord means the message of the Lord. It means the strength of the Lord. The strength of God. And so we find down in verse number 2, Isaiah 53, 2, For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty, that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. And what does a Messiah look like? Well, to the average Jew, they would say the Messiah would look like a king robed in majesty. He would come in with a chariot. I, I got tickled yesterday. Uh, people looked at me and they said, uh, uh, you, you don't look like a preacher. <laughs> and uh, I was out there in the parking lot and had a stocking cap on and had clothes. And, and uh, today someone said, you look more like yourself today. <laughs> and I said, well, I feel more like myself today. And, but... Jesus did not come dressed in glory. He came as a carpenter. He came as a suffering servant. And that's why this verse number 2 says, He would be like a tender shoot. Now what, what does that mean? If you look at verse number 2, it says He'll be a tender shoot or like a root out of the ground. What that means is that He's just a blade of grass. Just a blade of grass. In other words, He would not be anything special to look at. Just like mowing your grass. I mean, you take that lawnmower, go across your yard, you're cutting grass, grass flies everywhere. One blade's no more special than another blade. But, even though... He appeared just to be a blade of grass, a root. Yet this suffering servant was rejected because he did not look like the Messiah. You know, in our lives, things at times appear to be insignificant. I saw Imogene last week and walked in there and... and uh, I said, uh, how you doing? She said, oh, I'm not doing very good. And I said, uh, Imogene, I said, you got the prettiest hair there. And she said, I know you tell stories. <laughs> I said, uh, every once in a while. But you know what? She looked like she was dying. But God said, no, I'm getting ready to take her and to make her more alive than she's been in a long time. Look around you. We live in a world of the dying, but we are going to the world of the living. Amen. When you and I get to glory one day, we're going to live it up like we never have before. 
And it's all because of things in this world that have passed away, things that were insignificant. And just what Isaiah said, it looks like just blades of grass, a tender shoot. But what is insignificant to man is something special to God. It is. So, we see the rejection. I mean, move on, alright? Number three. We see the servant's passion. We see his passion. This is verses 4 through 6. I want you to look at verse number 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 4 says, He bore our sorrows. Uh, one translation says, He bore our illnesses. Our illnesses. Now, need to be careful there because God sometimes heals us in this world temporarily. It's always temporary. I had a cold a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think I'm healed today. But guess what? I'm going to get a cold again. And i got more news for you. One day I'm going to get sick and die. And so, God never heals permanently in this world. But in the next, He does. Healing is always temporary. He also bore our suffering. Look at verse number 5. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. By His scourging we are healed. By His scourging. You know very well what that was. It was the whip on the back. A whip with uh, rocks in the leather where it would wrap around the back and as it was pulled away would rip flesh from the back. A scourging. All of that Jesus went through for us. He takes our diseases. He takes our punishment. He takes our wounds. I want you to look now at verse number 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. I saw a picture one time I thought was interesting. It was a picture of a pasture that was full of sheep. You know how sometimes you see a picture and there's like a big circle where it shows words that you know someone's speaking? Well, there was a big circle there by this sheep and it said, all we like people have gone astray. <laughs> that may be what sheep say. I do know that H.A. Uh, Ironside, the great commentator, said, verse number 6 is the most wonderful text in the Bible. All we like sheep have gone astray. None are excluded. We have all turned to our own way, but our iniquity fell on Him. Passion. We have a passion week 
Because we celebrate the Lord's passion for you and I. He paid a debt. One person said, He paid the debt he didn't know. He paid the debt I could never pay. We owe it all to Him. Alright, number four. Number four. Fourth, I notice the servant's submission. Uh, the servant's work was being totally submissive. Now look at verse number 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. He was silent. Silent. You know, there's a lot to be said at times for being silent. If God is your defender, then you can be silent and let Him defend you. Jesus, when He stood before Pilate, Jesus there at His trial was silent before His accusers. Also, we find in verse number 8, by oppression and judgment, He was taken away. And as for His generation who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of My people to whom the stroke was due. And this is um, maybe a bad analogy, but um, there's an old western show called Rawhide. You know the, the theme to that? You know the Rawhide song? Hit them up, move them out, rawhide. And part of the words of that song has this phrase, cut them out, move them on. You know what it means to cut them out? It means to, to cut out part of those cows. Uh, cut out part of them doggies and move them along, alright? And as you look at verse number 8, that he was cut off. You see that phrase, cut off? He was cut out. Cut out from the land of the living. Only one, only one could die the death of redemption. Anytime anyone thinks that they can be saved by works, saved by baptism, saved by church membership, I would say, read Isaiah 53. Because it declares that this suffering servant had to be submissive. Look at verse number 9. Verse 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Who's the rich man here in verse 9? Joseph of Arimathea. Right. They came and got the body of Jesus. And this is a prophecy of, of the taking down of the body of Christ and putting Him inside the tomb. Alright, also we find His shame here in verse number 9. He had no grave, no place to be buried, and had to rely on other men to put him in a tomb. 
Alright, let me move on. Fifth and last today. Last thing. We see the servant's salvation. And this is verses 10 through 12. And let's just read through this. Verse number 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now, in verse number 10, it speaks about the suffering servant, the Messiah, having offspring. A lot of the Jews hold that up and say, well, Jesus could not be the Messiah because the Messiah we find here will have offspring. I got news for you. He does have offspring. I'm His child. And so the offspring that it mentions here in verse 10 are the children of God that have been born again through the ages. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Alright, verse number 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? My servant will justify the many. I am justified. I had someone, uh, I know time's getting short, but I had someone ask me one time, they said, uh, what if someone dies before they have time to confess all their sins? I said, what are you talking about? He said, what if someone dies in a car wreck or a plane crash and, and, and they've sinned and they didn't get time to confess their sin? I said, listen, when I got saved, I got justified. Past present and future. My salvation is not based on my continual confessions. It's based on the one-time confession that Christ is my Savior. And then he said, well, why do we confess our sins? I said, because we need the fellowship restored. Because we need the relationship restored. Just like you have a fight with your wife, i got news for you. Until you make it right, it ain't right. <laughs> you go to bed angry, you wake up in the morning angry. Mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Alright, I know that. So you make it right. God wants it made right because of fellowship, not because of salvation. Alright, we've got to move on. Number 12. Verse number 12. Isaiah 53, 12, the last verse. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. That last phrase there, and interceded for the transgressors. He intercedes for us today at the right hand of God. One person said it right, Danny Aiken. Danny Aiken from Southeastern Seminary said, Rejection was His, acceptance is ours. The wounding was His, the healing is ours. 
The stripes were His, the salvation is ours. The price was His, the forgiveness is ours. The death was His, but life is ours. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Alright, let's bow together. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Father, this is such a rich and wonderful passage. Uh, we could spend weeks upon it. Father, I, I agree. We want to stand back and say, Hallelujah, what a Savior. We thank You for the suffering servant, the One who paid it all. And we thank You for the coming King, that He'll come and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords one day. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Christ is Lord. In His name I pray. Amen. Thank you all. Have a wonderful day.